Worthy is the Lamb that was slain. Love that song. Last week we laid the foundation for our our enlarged series with this prayer spoken by an obscure Old Testament landowner. He said, Oh, that thou wouldst bless me indeed, and enlarge my coast, and that thine hand might be with me, and that thou wouldst keep me from evil, that it may not grieve me. And the passage goes on to say that God granted him that which he had requested. There are some prayers that we can know ahead of time that God wants to answer in our lives. And he always wants the best for us. He's going to answer accordingly. We continue today with enlarge in the New Testament. We're going to visit each of the four Gospels this morning, beginning in Matthew for a reading, chapter 16. And if you have that, and if you're physically able, would you stand? Matthew 16. We also have some New Testaments under the the chairs if you need to look on on one of those. Matthew 16. And I'm going to read just four verses for our reading this morning, beginning in verse number 24. Then said Jesus unto his disciples, If any man will come after me, Let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. For whosoever will save his life shall lose it. And whosoever will lose his life for my sake shall find it. For what is a man profited if he shall gain the whole world and lose his own soul? Or what shall a man give in exchange for his soul? For the Son of Man shall come in the glory of his Father with his angels And then he shall reward every man according to his works. Today we're going to talk about enlarging our commitment. And let's pray. Father, thank you for each one who's here. Thank you that we could worship you once again. I pray that you'd bless now in our continued worship with this next song. Help us in all of our hearts to be reminded and to focus and to meditate on how great you are. Guide us and we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you. You may be seated. Sings my soul, my soul. 
Amen. Thank you, ladies, for that. What a song of worship to God. I just believe there are some songs that we're going to get to sing in heaven that we sang on earth. And I think that may be one of them. Uh, goodness gracious, can you imagine singing that in the presence of God Almighty? And yeah, what, a, what a beautiful song that is. We're going to get into this passage now and talk about enlarging our commitment and and it speaks to a people who are already very committed. And so you say, Pastor, are we trying to push us to commit more today? And, and uh, I'm not really doing that. What I, what I want to do is go to the Gospels and allow God to speak to us and to help us to understand more about what commitment is and how it is that we're committing. I read a story about uh, a hog and a hen. And uh, they were sharing the same barnyard. They heard about the church's program to feed the hungry. And so the hog and the hen discussed how they could help, and the hen said, I've got it. We'll provide bacon and eggs for the church to feed the hungry. You know, the hog thought about the suggestion for a while, and he was not very quick on the uptake, but he said, there's only one problem with your bacon and egg solution. For you, it only requires a contribution. But for me, it means total commitment. You know, that's the cost of true discipleship, is total commitment. Not giving just a part, not giving God a tip now and then, but giving fully everything on the altar and a living sacrifice is what Paul called it in Romans 12. One definition of commitment is a promise to be loyal to someone or something. And I looked in the 1828 Webster's Dictionary, because I always like to, to go back and see what it says. It's just probably the best dictionary ever made. But one of the main definitions that it had for commitment was putting into prison. That's interesting, isn't it? Commitment is putting into prison. Commitment is a loyalty so deep that it imprisons the one who's committed, if you will. And sometimes we say that love is an unconditional commitment. I'm going to stick with you for better, for worse, for richer, for poorer, in sickness and in health, etc., etc. And I'm concerned, and maybe you're concerned, that the commitment level in 2015 has fallen to a place of casual, to the level of convenient, not just in our spiritual commitment to Jesus Christ, but in all of our commitments. I'll stay in this relationship as long as I feel good about it. I'll be a part of this church as long as it meets my needs. I'll be your friend when it benefits my interests. And it's interesting that fair weather commitment isn't unique to modern times though. After Jesus fed the 5,000 with five loaves and two fishes, He had multitudes following Him. And in fact, the very next day, a bunch of them walked all the way around the Sea of Galilee to get home from the feeding of the 5,000. And others took boats that had gone across the sea. And Jesus was already on the other shore, and they all looked at each other and thought, how in the world did you get here? And you may remember that He walked across the sea during the night through a storm with His disciples in the boat. And Jesus said something very interesting. Actually, let's look at this in John 6. I, I want you to see this. Because the people had come all that way just to see him again. And just to find out 
more about Him and just to see more miracles and just to have their lives touched in a mightier way. And here's what He said to him: John chapter 6. We'll go to John again later in the message, but let's look at John 6 for now. Look at verse number 26. Actually, start in verse 25. And when they had found him on the other side of the sea, they said unto him, Rabbi, or teacher, when camest thou hither? So like, Jesus, when did you come over here? We left you on the other side of the sea. Jesus answered them and said, Verily, verily, or truly, truly, I say unto you, ye seek me, not because ye saw the miracles, but because ye did eat of the loaves and were filled. Labor not for the meat which perisheth, but for the meat which endureth unto everlasting life, which the Son of Man shall give unto you. For him hath God the Father seal. Now, Jesus was beginning to explain to them, not all of you who are here today are actually going to become my disciples. You came here because there was a good meal yesterday. You came here because the fish and chips was excellent. Right? And, and so that's why you came back and he said, that's not what you want to live for. Now go further down in the chapter. I want you to notice verse 60. Look what it says here. Many therefore of his disciples, when they had heard this, said, this is a hard saying. Who can hear it? Keep going down in verse number 66. From that time, many of his disciples went back and walk no more with him. You know, Jesus had this commitment problem too. Thousands of people who followed him and said, we're committed, we're in, we're going with you all the way. And yet, they weren't nearly as committed as they pretended to be or as they even thought that they were. In fact, some of his own disciples who thought they were committed denied him on the day of his crucifixion. None of his disciples who had said, we're going to be with you all the way, Jesus. Not one of them came all the way to the cross except John the Beloved. Go down to the next verse. It's interesting. Then said Jesus unto the twelve, will ye also go away? Then Simon Peter answered him, Lord, to whom shall we go? Thou hast the words of eternal life. You know, if you know the truth of God's Word, and you believe that Jesus is the only way, there's no alternative than to be His disciple. There's nowhere else to go once you've discovered Him. And in our initial passage, Jesus offered concise and practical instructions to those that would be His disciples. And so let's take a walk now through the Gospels this morning to review Jesus' call to discipleship and to see how it plays into our lives here today. So back to Matthew 16 now. And let's talk through this in four parts from each of the four Gospels. The notes are provided in your bulletin if you'd like to follow along with us. And so we, here we are in Matthew 16. The first part of the message is, Come after me. Come after me. Look at verse 24. Once again, Jesus said to his disciples, If any man will come after me. This really is the first part of, of being a disciple. Before we get any further, though, I have to tell you that discipleship has a simple foundation that's often and easily misunderstood. 
A lot of people think that if you are a Christian, you're a disciple. But you know, Jesus never called his disciples Christians. Not one time. You can read the whole Bible. Jesus never called his disciples Christians. He just didn't do it. That term, in fact, was later given to heckle believers in a town called Antioch. That term didn't even come from Jesus. See, Jesus wasn't into terminology. He just asked them to follow Him. Follow Him when it's hard. Follow Him when you don't understand. Follow Him when you don't know the plan. Follow Him when you've lost other friendships. Follow Him when you don't see how you can. Just come after me. That's what he said. If any man will come after me, and that's the beginning of discipleship. I read a story of a young man that he wanted to grow in his faith, and so he got out a piece of paper and he began to write down all the things that he would do for God and all the things that he would give up for God and all the places he'd go for God and all the areas of ministry he would enter. And he took the paper and he went to the altar with it and he laid it before God. And of course, he thought he'd feel great joy, but instead he felt empty. And so he took the list home and he read it over again. And, and oh, I better add a few more things. And he took a few things off and he listed more things that he would do and wouldn't do for God. And he brought it back to the altar and still felt nothing. And so he went to an older believer that was experienced in the faith and he wanted some answers. And I love what the seasoned saint told him. He said, son, take a blank sheet of paper and sign your name at the bottom and then put that on the altar. The young man did and peace came into his heart. See, Jesus never asked anybody to have it all figured out. He just asked them to follow. And when we put it on the paper, we're not the follower, we're the leader. It just takes an empty page. Jesus said, come after me. In fact, when he had called his disciples, he said, follow me, and I will make you fishers of men. And so, come after me. But then, let's go to Mark chapter 8. Let's see this next step from the book of Mark. So, Mark chapter 8, talking about the, the value of, of the human soul and and the, the use of our lives for God's glory. Mark chapter 8, verse number 34. And when he had called the people unto him with his disciples also, he said unto them, Whosoever will come after me, let him deny himself, and take up his cross, and follow me. For whosoever will save his life shall lose it. But whosoever shall lose his life for my sake and the gospels, the same shall save it. So the second part here is lose your life. Come after me, lose your life. I'm going to ask you a question. This is not a trick question. Is a fishing net a bad thing? It's not a bad thing, is it? Right? Is a fishing pole a bad thing? It's not a bad thing. Jesus showed up by the lake one day, and he got into a ship, which just happened to be Simon Peter's, the fisherman. And uh, Jesus got in, into the boat, and he said, okay, guys, uh, let's go do some fishing. 
And Peter looked at his brother Andrew and he's like, seriously, we fished all night already. Not only did we fish all night, but we caught nothing. Dawson, my son, took his friend Trey fishing Thursday night. And uh, Dawson had this great plan. And he took all these poles and tackle boxes. And I found out later, they were going fishing for like two hours, right? I found yesterday in the garage a cooler full, full of like $50 worth of food that he had taken for the fishing trip. And I just stuff like thousands of calories of food like what did you think was going to happen like you're going to fall through the lake into china and have to walk your way back i didn't get it but um, so he got done and he got home and i said how'd it go he said uh well we didn't catch anything but i taught trey how to fish i said wait just a second. <laughs> tell it tell it to me again i, I missed the whole thing you didn't catch anything, but you taught Trey how to fish. Yeah, I taught him how to fish. No, you didn't teach him, teach him how to fish. You taught him how to cast, right? To learn how to fish, you actually have to catch a fish. Are you guys with me? So anyway, that's another story. But Jesus is in the boat, and Peter and Andrew are in the boat, and James and John are in the other boat. And Jesus said, hey, let's go fishing. And Jesus, man, it's a bad day. It, really, it's a bad morning. We make our living fishing. We just fish all night. We caught nothing. Jesus said, well, cast your nets on the other side. Right? Now, what if somebody who knows nothing about your job, supposedly, comes to your job and tells you how to do it? Right? Now, what if the guy who's got the trainee tag on comes into your office and says, uh, yeah, I'd push F7 and, and I'd give F8 and F9 a, yeah, fix, fix it all up and we'll get to the printer. And you're looking at him like, you would roll your eyes, right? Or you'd look at somebody else like. And Jesus says, uh, let's go out here, boys, and uh, I want you to cast your nets on the other side of the boat. But Peter and Andrew are looking at each other like, seriously. James and John are in the other boat like, we just fished all night. And Peter says, okay, you know, hey, we just fished all night, but if you tell us to do it, we'll do it. And no sooner do they throw the net on the other side of the boat than they have more fishies that can fit in that net or another net or another net. And the net begins to break into pieces. And they call their buddies over, help! Help! And they try to get these fish into land. Now, if you caught that many fishes, fishies, fish, whatever the plural of it is, if you caught that many, you would probably stick with it for a very long time, wouldn't you? Like, whoa, this is amazing. I want you to notice what they did. Look over at Luke chapter 5. So they just caught the, this whole mess of fish. Simon falls down before Jesus and says, Depart from me, for I'm a sinful man, O Lord. And here they are, and they come back into the shore. And I want you to look what Jesus says. Luke 5, verse number 10. End of the verse. Jesus said unto Simon, Fear not, from henceforth thou shalt catch men. Verse 11, and when they had brought their ships 
to land, they forsook all and followed him. So Peter and his brother and John and his brother brought their ships to land and they forsook all and followed Jesus. Now why would professional fishermen forsake their fishing gear and their fishing boat? Because they had found someone more important to pursue. Authentic discipleship forsakes certainly what's bad, but you know, many times authentic discipleship forsakes what's good to pursue what's best. Get what I'm saying? Authentic discipleship, yeah, it forsakes bad stuff. We know that. But sometimes discipleship forsakes good things so that it can go after the best thing. And in our lives, there are a lot of really good things that keep us from being the disciples we should be. There are a lot of really good programs and family events and things that we do with our kids and activities and sporting events. There are a lot of good things that keep us from the best thing. Fishing was not an immoral choice, and yet they gave it up to follow Jesus. And we have many parts of our lives that, that aren't evil, they're not sinful, they're not immoral. There are things that are good and wholesome and family-oriented. But sometimes there are things that hold us back from pursuing Christ. And so Jesus, in the passage we read in Mark, He said, whosoever will save his life will lose it. But whosoever shall lose his life for my sake and the Gospels, the same shall save it. Now you think about this, this is a paradox. People who are listening to this for the first time Jesus said it, they're like, huh? It's like he just gave the formula for quantum physics or something. Lose your life and you'll save it. That doesn't make any sense. Save your life and you'll lose it. And Jesus is trying to get him to understand something very, very valuable and important here. People spend the vast majority of their lives pursuing things and clutching things that they're going to lose anyway. But isn't that true? People spend the vast majority of their lives pursuing, grabbing, clutching, holding on to things that they're going to lose anyway. And Jesus said, why not go ahead and lose your life and then you'll gain everything. And Jesus gives us the way to avoid getting to the end of your life with nothing to show for it. Lose your life. Think about Saul of Tarsus, who later became the Apostle Paul. He had been circumcised, 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 and circumcised too, and they had him both at it smack dab on the eighth day, right when you're supposed to do it. He had established his Jewish tracking record. Um, he was a confirmed member of the tribe of Benjamin. It says he was a Hebrew of Hebrews. On top of that, he was a devout Pharisee who spent his days doing everything possible to keep the law. But then he met Jesus. And I want you to see what he wrote in Philippians chapter 3. And what a terrific passage this is to show us that Paul, who had been Saul of Tarsus, was ready to lose his life for the glory of God, to be a disciple. I'm not talking about just that he was ready to be martyred, which he was ready for that too. But he was ready to give everything up. Look what he said, Philippians 3, verse number 7. 
But what things were gained to me, those I counted loss for Christ. Yea, doubtless, and I count all things but loss. For the excellency of the knowledge of Christ Jesus, my Lord, for whom I have suffered the loss of all things, and do count them but dung, that I may win Christ. Now, most of you who are just following along there were kind of knocked sideways by the end of that verse, weren't you? You never knew that that term was used in the Bible. As there it is, plain black and white. And some versions change it from dung to excrement or waste. The Greek word is skubala. It's the Greek word. And Paul said, everything in my life I counted as skubala so that I could go after Christ. My heritage, my tribe, my pharisaical ways, my knowledge, my education, I set it all aside. I lost what I knew of life so that I could really live. That's a paradox. It's so tough. But Jesus said, lose your life. His disciples got it. Paul got it. question is, will we get it? So, we've got, uh, come after me. Lose your life. Then let's go to Luke chapter 9. We'll see this third part. And boy, this is an important one. Luke chapter 9. Verse number 23. And he said to them all, If any man will come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross daily and follow me. Third part of the message, take up the cross daily. Come after me, lose your life, take up the cross daily. And so, yes, discipleship starts with a one-time decision, but there's no quick, easy path to Christ-likeness. Instead, it's a day-after-day pursuit. Some days you will deny self through the power of the Spirit. Some days you will deny Christ through the habits and the imaginations of the carnal nature. There's never yet been a human being that hasn't failed God, and there never will be. The key to growth is to take up the cross again tomorrow. And remember that yesterday ended last night. I read a story about President Andrew Jackson, our seventh president, and a boy, he was, you talk about a character, he was a character. Just to throw the whole political realm off base and to take the professional politicians and upset the apple cart and uh, to take the establishment and turn it on its head, at his inauguration, he invited the city to come to his inauguration. And so here are these beggars standing next to congressmen. Right? He, he had these people who smelt like they hadn't taken a bath for two months because they hadn't taken a bath for two months right next to the senators. Right? Andrew Jackson, old hickory. And uh, if you ever want to know more about him, you listen to the old Johnny Horton song in 1814, took a little trip, along with Colonel Jackson. That's him. Down the mighty Mississippi. Colonel Jackson. That's him, Andrew Jackson. And uh, he used to get in fights all the time when he was younger, and even into his adult years. And if you crossed him, he'd just go to town with you, fisticuffs, and fight. 
And they would knock him down, and, and then the guy would turn around, and he'd get back up and wallop the guy. And one time, they asked his friends, what in the world is the deal with this guy? He won't stay down. Like you could knock him down and knock him out, and as soon as he came to, he came up fighting. And he was at it. And oh, Hickory, what is the deal about this guy? And here was his quote. I love this Andrew Jackson quote. He said, the thing that counts isn't how many times you've been thrown, but whether or not you're willing to stay thrown. That's good. This is some good Christian advice. You know what the thing that counts in discipleship? It's not how many times Satan's knocked you down. It's not how many times your flesh has sabotaged you. It's not how many times you failed in that habit toward God. It's about how many times you got back up. Proverbs says, The just man falleth seven times a day and riseth yet again. And it's about taking up the cross daily. Coming after Him. Today. Daily. In the present tense. Be present now. We're all in a stage of growth. Every one of us has to grow in the Lord. John Maxwell, not this John Maxwell down here, but John C. Maxwell. We, by the way, we have a John Maxwell right here in our congregation. But John C. Maxwell tells this story, and it's a great story about a group of tourists, and they're visiting a picturesque village over in Europe. And they walked by an old man who's sitting beside a fence, and one of the tourists walked up to the old man in kind of a patronizing way, and he says to him, uh, were any great men born in this village, sir? And the old man sat there for a minute, and he looked at him and he said, no, only babies. <laughs> you know, a great man's never been born. All of us are born babies. And it's that way spiritually too, right? Nobody goes from wah, wah to mature in the faith like that. We all have to go through the process, right? We all have to go through the diaper changing process as believers. Take some scuba and package it up and toss it out. Right? We've got to go through that stage. We've got to go through the stage where we go through our terrible twos where we scream and yell and fight against God and we kick at everything and we're mad at everybody. Even the people who are trying to help us, we get upset at them and they say, no, go away, no, go away. And in our Christian walk, we have to go through these stages where we drink the milk of the Word and then we begin to eat the meat of the Word. Because every person who is born again starts with new life in Christ. And whether the new convert is 6 or 60, that person still needs to grow as a Christian. That person still needs to follow, as Jesus said, come after me. Lose your life. Take up the cross daily. You know, a baby Christian who's been saved for 40 years is a tragedy. Because God intends for us to grow and mature 
so that we can be a positive influence in the lives of others, so that we can reflect who Jesus is in our lives. And until we learn to dig into the meat of the Word for ourselves, we'll never grow. You know, spiritual meat can be tough to swallow, and it requires us to be humble and to humble ourselves on a daily basis and say, Spirit of God, you were right and I'm wrong. And boy, how I need that word in my life. We need to remember that He's God and we're not. We all have the opportunity to be, to be used as vessels of honor for God, but we have to be willing to be daily disciples. Now, I want to go to John 8. We're going to finish up there and look at this last one. John chapter 8. And this is where it really gets exciting. Because Jesus gave us the clue to the whole thing. He already said, come after me, lose your life, take up the cross daily. But then we get to this last part, John chapter 8, verse number 28. Then said Jesus unto them, When you have lifted up the Son of Man, then you shall know that I am He, and that I do nothing of myself, but as my Father hath taught me, I speak these things. And he that sent me is with me, the Father hath not left me alone, for I do always those things that please Him. That's a great life motto right there. As he spake these words, many believed on him. Then said Jesus to those Jews which believed on him. Now look at this. If ye continue in my word, then are ye my disciples indeed. You shall know the truth, and the truth shall make you free. This fourth part, continue in my word. Continue in my word. So, so there it is. Jesus' whole system of discipleship. Come after me. Lose your life. Take up the cross daily. And now continue in my word. I shared with you at the beginning of the message that Jesus was constantly being pursued by people. And sometimes even those that claimed a desire for discipleship. And he shared with them and he shared with us that authentic discipleship always continues in his word. It always continues in his word and just keeps pursuing the word of God. Even when we don't feel like it, even when we're not emotionally tied to the word of God, we still hunger after the word of God in our soul. And we know that that work is so important in our lives, even when we don't feel like that work. Well, I'm sure you've seen up on the stage today, there are 40 new discipleship books. And the title and the theme are taken from the verse we just read, John 8.31. If you continue in my word, then are you my disciples indeed. And I have to tell you, I, I'm truly excited about this biblical journey and personal discipleship. And last year I was honored to review this book before it went to press. And I've been praying that God will use it mightily in our lives here at Centennial. I can tell you up front that this book is not some magic step to make you a disciple of Jesus. To do that, we already know what he said. Come after me, lose your life, take up the cross daily, continue in my word. But this book contains some outstanding tools that those who want to follow Jesus should have. And I want to show you one more verse before we close today in 2 Timothy chapter 2. If you were in one of our life groups this morning, yeah, your life group may have covered this verse. 2 Timothy 2.2, 2, 
This verse gives, I believe, the clearest place in the Bible of the methodology of personal discipleship. 2 Timothy 2, at verse number 2. And the things that thou hast heard of me among many witnesses, the same commit thou to faithful men who shall be able to teach others also. So here's Paul saying to Timothy, Timothy, the things that I've taught you, I want you to commit them to faithful men. And I want those faithful men to go on to teach other faithful men, to teach other faithful men, to teach other faithful men. And it's so interesting that Paul, who's one of the, the great Bible characters in the New Testament, that he had a mentor himself named Barnabas. He had a friend who walked beside him in discipleship named Silas. He had a disciple named Timothy, and he had friends named Aquila and Priscilla, and they had a disciple named Apollos. And, and you can go through the book of Acts and through the Scripture and find that discipleship was the method that Jesus set forth in the local church to continue the Word of God throughout the whole world. By the way, it's even stronger than that. It's not the method they used, and that's it. It is the only method Jesus left us. That's it. Discipleship is the only method Jesus left us for reaching the world for Christ. We are to go and make disciples in all nations. Now, some of you... Uh, here at Centennial have gone through discipleship with us in the past. And maybe you're ready to move ahead and to commit those things to a man or woman that can commit them then to others. Maybe you've been interested in discipleship before, but the timing wasn't right. Or there have been times where we didn't have enough trainers to train. And, and today's the first you've ever heard of it, could be. And so no matter what age or stage of life you're in, I want you to know that you can be involved. Um, for those who are 16 or older, we're going to offer this particular book and this method. And then for teens who are less than that, we're going to be working with them with some teen materials. So you could be committed, here's what all it takes, to meet with another man or another woman an hour a week for 14 weeks. That's it. And if you're new to the faith, we will actually partner you with someone that has known the Lord for a while. Discipleship is God's method for growing the local church and reaching the world. And God wants us to take these principles outside of this room and outside of these walls to engage our community. And so if you're prepared to enlarge your commitment and to be involved in discipleship, after we pray in just a minute, I'm going to ask you to move to these front few rows. And we're going to get you started today. We're going to go ahead and get you your book and if we've got 40 books here, if we need more, we'll get them this week and two-day air. I, I believe that the most important numbers that we have here at Centennial, and we do keep attendance numbers, but I believe the most important numbers we have are the number of people who are involved in ongoing personal discipleship and the number of people who are carrying plates in ministry, which we'll cover next week. So Paul said to Timothy, I've passed some things on to you. I've committed some things to you that I want you to commit to others who will commit to others. This is the actual Bible plan. And it requires enlarging commitment. 
For some, it just means coming out of your comfort zone a little bit. Some of you are mature in the faith, and we would immediately put you in as the mentor in the relationship. Say, Pastor, I've never gone through this book. Guess how many of us have ever gone through this book? That would be none. We haven't. It's a new book. Now, we've given a few pre-copies out for people to test, but none of us have gone through it. I haven't gone through it. So if I said, you have to go through this book as a disciple before you can disciple with it, then nobody could go through it because none of us have ever gone through it. It's a new book. Do you get what I'm saying? Right? So that's not a prerequisite. There's no rule that says that you can't take this book and go out and find somebody off the street who needs Jesus and bring them and start working with them. Okay, We're going to start with the people in this room today and do whatever God leads us to do to His glory. Father, thank You for bringing us to this place today. We thank You for each one who's here. And I pray that even now that You would speak to our hearts about personal discipleship. Perhaps there are some who are ready, and they're going to come front right away after we dismiss. Maybe there's some who just they need to know more, and they're wondering how it all works. I pray that they would be willing to come as well. I pray that you would help us all as a church to keep the Great Commission by making disciples in all nations, starting with where we're at, starting with our place here in this local church, in this community. I pray that you would guide us by your grace and for your glory. And uh, I pray that you would help us to value the opportunity for discipleship that you've given to us. For every one of us who believed that we would value this opportunity, that we would continue to come after you to lose our life, to take up the cross daily, and to continue in your word. We ask these things in the name of Jesus Christ. Amen. Love you, everybody. Service at 5.30 tonight. If you're going to come and claim one of these, come right up to the front in these first few rows, and we'll get you some paperwork, have you out of here in just a couple minutes.